on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Welcome to this 26th edition and special presentation of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Now, normally at the start of each podcast, we usually have the theme music and an introduction about what's coming up on the program. But today, there's only just the one interview, and a special interview it is. It's with a woman who loves her Western Bulldogs. Used to be in the Doggies cheer squad, played cheer squad footy with them until she was 15 and told it was getting a bit too rough. So she focused her efforts into the corporate world with the Dancio group with her then-husband Angelo and seemed to be on top of the world until tragedy hit. But she's managed to turn that tragedy into positives, into research, into diabetes and the support of women's football. All that will be covered in this podcast. And it's with great pleasure that I have on the line the chair of the Susan Alberti Medical Research Foundation and vice president of the Western Bulldogs, Dr. Susan Alberti. Susan, thanks for joining us. Good morning. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Susan, let's flash back for a moment uh, to 1947 in Bansdale, Victoria, where you were born. Mm. When did you first pick up your footy? Because I I read somewhere that you loved your footy as a young girl. Mm -hmm, I certainly did. I was born in Bansdale. My father had just come out uh, out of the war and he'd joined the police force. And um, I was born in Bansdale, but I only spent a few years in Bansdale before we came to the city where Dad took up a job as a policeman. But I think the first time I picked up a football, I probably was about five maybe five or six uh when my brother was kicking the football around the backyard and i just wanted to be perhaps as good as him and uh thought well if he can do it i can do it so that's where it all started in the backyard from there was there an instant attraction to the bulldogs uh Yes and no. Uh, my father was a um, North Melbourne Shinboner supporter because he was stationed there as a policeman in North Melbourne and he wanted me to Barrington for North Melbourne and I guess the rebel that I was, and I still am, I decided I didn't like blue and white. It's a very simple um, explanation as to why I barracked for the Bulldogs. I happened to love the red, white and blue colours and, uh, I, and the only way I was allowed to go to the football was on the condition that my father dropped me off with my brother at the uh, Western Oval, as it was known then, and picked up and also that I had to join the cheer squad because he felt it was a safe environment to be with all those other supporters and of course it still is a very safe environment so that's the reason why I barracked for the red white and blue because I happened to like the colours at a very early age and just ironically with yourself being born in Bernstein that Gippsland region used to be the old Bulldogs recruiting zone exactly it's just an absolute coincidence we've had Choco Royal come from there and many other famous footballers so they must breed them well down there and of course, you grew up in an era where, uh, for, for young women, um, you obviously couldn't play football. Um, you, you had to stop by a certain age. Well, the reason why I, I, I desperately wanted to play football, but girls didn't necessarily play it. But as cheer squads and the few cheer squads that were around at the time, bearing in mind this is, you know, very uh, it's sixty years ago approximately, or fifty-five years ago, we decided as cheer squads to play against one another. But it was mixed teams, and um, we would play on a Sunday afternoon because obviously football was only on the Saturday, Saturday afternoon, and um, then the Sunday we would uh, have mixed games. But I got to a stage, and my father also at the same time was. A, a football umpire and then my brother started training as a football umpire and dad could see I was being knocked around terribly because I'd get in and under just like any male because I was fierce to get the ball and he said this is ridiculous I was nearly 15 he said you cannot play this anymore you're getting too knocked around although I protested and wanted to keep going but there was nowhere to go at that particular time that I was aware of so I had to hang up my boots at the ripe old age of 15 and couldn't play anymore. 
I guess one thing to your advantage is in the era that you do that you did grow up in, it was a golden age uh, for the Bulldogs. It was, it was the only premiership in 54, but you had such players as Sutton, Witten yes. and Jack Collins. Yes, and uh, Jack Collins was an absolute idol of mine, as was Charlie Sutton. But the person I most of all, but he was 1960, that was John Schultz. He's always been my hero. He's a beautiful man. He's a gentleman, great, greatly skilled, um, just a damn good footballer. And he was really my hero, I guess you could say, in that era. But certainly Charlie Sutton and Jack Collins and all of those guys, they were just amazing. And it wasn't too long after that you obviously moved into the business world where you started with the uh, Danzu uh, group. Uh, what was it like as, as a woman back in the 60s and 70s entering the corporate world? Well, it was not easy because it was the building industry and that was fiercely dominated by men. It was the last bastion of male dominance and um, women were unheard of being in that industry. And um, I, I, you know, it was, it, I was sort of working seven days a week to we were young, a couple trying to build up a business. Um, during that time, my husband had terrible accidents 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 I say plural because um I uh, had a stick go through his eye only three months after we were married and of course I had to keep the business going whilst he was in and out of hospital so we're trying to build a business we're, we were working seven days a week in fact we had more than one business we had three businesses going at the same time so to me it was like being on a merry-go-round uh, for quite some time but I could see there was opportunity and I was prepared to put in and work hard and um I guess the results have shown what working hard can do for you, no matter what you do. Uh, over the lifetime, you were lucky enough to uh, ha- have a daughter and Danielle, but mm. uh, she was diagnosed young, wasn't she, with uh, type yes. 1 diabetes? She, when she was the absolute joy of our lives, she was a beautiful baby. She was absolutely perfect in every way and, and never had a sickness. And um, she was good at school. She was good at sport. Uh, and then at the age of 12, all of a sudden, she was hit by type 1 diabetes through no fault of her own it's an autoimmune disease which affects the pancreas and it stops working forever for life and there was no cure um, for diabetes or type 1 diabetes but it's all the same diabetes uh, but because the complications are exactly the same but type 1 children usually get it and it's through no fault of their own so that I embarked upon another period of my life where I was determined to help her Uh, and I'm a, a restless person I need solutions and I need readily available solutions so um, onto the phone I went and uh, we didn't have computers back then uh, they were just coming in and all I had was yellow pages white pages to discover any research two researchers in this country were um, doing research into the disease. Unfortunately uh, she would pass away um, on a flight I believe back from uh, the US. Yes, yes, um, yes Danielle had done very well at school she'd been to yeah. Melbourne University then did a master's in America but Danielle kept a lot from it because, unfortunately, her dad had been killed in a dreadful accident or he died after three weeks of intensive care. And they often say you can die of a broken heart, which I would never have believed, but I really do believe that's what impacted on my daughter. She was extremely close to her dad. They were just unbelievably together. And he was, unfortunately, he died and we had to turn off the machines because it was just no hope. So she took off and went to America and I think um, her health deteriorated because of that. And because I had such a large business and I was trying to do everything, she wanted to protect her mother, the most beautiful young woman, to protect her mother from uh, her sickness and, and, and the worries and what she was facing, losing her eyesight and then her kidney started to fail. And, um, and at the first I knew that she was really sick, though we talked dimly every day when she was in New York, was when her doctor phoned me, her kidney specialist said, I think you better get over here, your daughter's very ill. So of course with that, you know, you jump on the first plane over to New York. 
With, with the passing of uh, your first husband, Angelo, and Danielle, um, how did you find the strength to stay in the corporate world, stay in the public eye when uh, for anyone going through such a loss, it'd be very easy to, to shy away from the world and, in fact, become a recluse? Well, it was, it was interesting. During that year, my mother died, my husband died, and my daughter died. And I thought, my God, what else is going to happen? But the thing is, we had a lot of employees, you know, many hundreds of employees, and I felt that I owed them. Uh, they looked to me for their um, income, their pay off their mortgages, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I felt I had a, such a strong responsibility to look after all those people because I know my husband would have done exactly the same if anything had happened to me. So I wanted to ensure, um, and I guess um, that's where the um, determination kicked in to ensure that each and every one of those employees were, had alternate work when I eventually scaled down, but I had to scale down up to 10 years. So I kept going and going and going. But throughout that whole process, whilst I was you know, keeping the business going and, and uh, the developments going, and I had to go back to school and get my licence, at that particular time, I think I was the only woman who had a builder's licence. I stand to be corrected now. But back in those days, which was a long time ago, I was the only female. So I just kept on going and going and going and saying to myself, you mustn't get sick, you mustn't get sick. You've got too many responsibilities. And, and, and my husband would have looked after all his employees, which is what he always did. They came first. He always cared about his men and women who worked for him. So at that time, too, I would then um, fronted up the doctor one day and I was diagnosed with cancer. So um, it just was one thing after another. And you say, how did I bounce back? Well, I had two choices, you know, life or death up or down and having um, developed calluses throughout my business career and all the knocks you have when you're in business I guess I was a stronger person for it that I, uh, I was able to, to to again face adversity and you managed to do so in an extraordinary way by starting your own medical research fund the Susan Alberti yes, medical research right. yes. fund yes. Um, what were those early days like was it an easy process or was it was it difficult to try and get it off the ground extremely difficult I was national president of an organization for 23 years I was one of the founders who got that up and going and we then became affiliated with an international organization it was very tough um, type 1 diabetes was really not something you talked about people understood they still don't understand it that it's not because kids eat too many lollies or the bad lifestyle or lack of exercise it's just an autoimmune disease which attacks the pancreas so I thought I owe this to my daughter and to all the other kids out there that um, we need to try and find a solution to this insidious disease. So I started knocking on doors and knocking on government doors. And um, again, when you've been in the building industry, it's a tough industry. And when you're a woman, it's even tougher. And I was determined I was going to get uh, interest uh, from government and people out there in the community to say, yeah, this is a terrible disease. We've got to get behind it and support it. So uh, it's just taken me nearly 35 years and um, I'm still at it and I'm not giving up. You've started various things along the way as well, as we, as we mentioned, uh, things like Walk for a Cure and in yes. fact this year the, the Signature Ball as well. Yes, well it's my 30th year. I'm not going to say celebrate because you can't celebrate. We're going to commemorate 30 years. I remember my first ball where I had about 80 people and I thought I was pretty smart having 80 people. Um, but it's developed over the years to a huge gala event. It's a first-class um, evening, and uh, we actually got Julie Bishop coming this year, and um, I've got Tina Arena coming from Paris to perform. So it's it's a first-class event. But nevertheless, the message there is: I'm raising funds for three institutes, three of the finest here in Melbourne: We High, 
Baker IDI and St Vincent's Institute, where I, I chair St Vincent's Institute, their foundation, uh, have done so for the last 14 years. So I've brought three institutes together because my philosophy is if you can um, collaborate in science, we can collaborate in fundraising. And it's been a really great success. This is my third year doing that with the three institutes, plus I do other things throughout the year. And of course, this is being held at the Crown Palladium on the 22nd of August. And, Correct. And may I say, you've just put a little hint of football in there as well with the voice of the AFL, Craig Willis, him seeing the event. He's done it for me for years and years and years. And Craig is just a great guy. Uh, he's just, you couldn't get anybody better than Craig Willis. And I see him often at the president's long, uh, functions and... He's a good man, very good man. Can you tell us a little more about the St. Vincent's Institute, which, of course, has their logo on the front of the Western Bulldogs women's jumpers? Correct. Whilst um, they appear to be the sponsors, that's something that I underwrite and pay for because um, St. Vincent's Institute is a hidden jewel in Melbourne. It's not one of the larger institutes, but it's grown and double in, its, its, in, in the last 10 years. Uh, that we're just about bursting at the seams and uh, there'll be things happening there as well. But St Vincent's not only um, investigate um, type 1 and type 2 diabetes, they investigate six or seven other diseases, osteoporosis, heart disease, uh, cancer of the bone, cancer. And it's ironical that I am chairman of that institute because um, back in 2005 when I was diagnosed with cancer, I didn't realise I'd be on the other side of the desk looking to those researchers to say, guys, please, and women, and 60% of researchers are women, by the way, um, please, save my life. I've got a 50-50 chance. And that's exactly what they did for me. Um, Not just for me only. They do it for everybody. I'm I'm nothing special. But um, I'd been helping them for so many years, and all of a sudden I was hit hard uh, with uh, cancer. And not long after that... um, I then was rushed to hospital with five blockages in my heart um, and had open heart surgery. So it was one thing after another. And I was told by Lisa Cato uh, to try and improve your health. You've recently lost as much as 47 kilos. No, it's 50, actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you know, when your kidney specialist, because my kidneys failed in intensive care, I was in intensive care for a couple of weeks. I was a very sick girl. And the kidney specialist laid it on the line to me and said, do you want to live a bit longer? You've got too much to do. Uh, too many things to achieve in your life if this is what the way you want to go uh, she really gave me the rounds of the kitchen uh, a woman and I thought on the 4th of June last year that's it things are changing um, and as I said before earlier on I'm determined and I have I've worked hard at it for 14 months and I have lost 50 kilos because I can assure you that because I was weighed by my doctor last Thursday or just last week and I He's actually gobsmacked as, as to <laughs> what I've done. But like everything, I don't do things by halves. Um, I, I stick at it, and I've never felt happier and healthier in my whole life. Going back to the early 2000s, you uh, came onto the board of the Western Bulldogs, your beloved doggies. Yeah. Um, how did that happen? Who approached you to come onto the board? Well, it's really interesting. I mean, obviously I was in the cheer squad, and I think I'm one of the first female, or the only, maybe the only director in the AFL who's actually come from the cheer squad. In 1996, we formed a task force, the Bulldogs did, and I was invited to join that task force because things were not travelling too well at the Bulldogs, and we had to do something very serious to get this club back in order and as a competitive club. So I was the only woman at the time, and uh, they were all men, and they were fabulous men. So we formed the task force, including David Smorgan and Rick Kennedy and Alan Johnson and all those terrific blokes. And I guess it was a progression that we got to 2004, 
and I was invited to join the board of the Bulldogs. However, there was a caveat there. I had to become involved, and we all got jobs on the board. It's not just a cushy little job with your name there. For the redevelopment at the Witten Noble, where we had to raise $32 million. And, of course, that was my job, to get out there and help, and help raise that money. Uh, obviously helped by the, the CEO at the time, Cam- Campbell Rose, a brilliant guy. We worked very closely together. So I joined the board in 2004. And that throughout that period of time, I was very busy helping to raise the money. And, and all the naysayers said we couldn't do it. It was impossible in the west of Melbourne. Well, guess what? We did it. And we've got a fabulous redevelopment now, and it's ongoing. I'm still involved with that. I'm now involved with the Bequest Society, where you know, where people, if they wish, they can leave money in trust. Uh, there are trustees there looking after that. I'm involved as a trustee. So then in 2012, I went to election, um, to, and I was nominated as vice president, uh, or Peter and I, we met, um, and I became vice president in 2012 and have been in that role since 2012. But however, I haven't slackened off with any of my work that I do for the club, and the expectations are there that anyone who's on that board, they've got a job to do, and they're expected to fulfil that that job. And with that role as well, you've been given the title of President of Footscray VFL, which had a tremendous first season back in the competition, winning the Premiership. I keep telling Peter Gordon, well, listen, Peter, I'm President of Footscray. What are you doing? You know, we won the (laughs) Premiership. I'm now the President. Look at at the results for having a woman. We just joke all the time. But, yes, it's been a a great um, move by the club to stand alone. Um, And it's also so beneficial to the senior team as well. You know, we've got such depth in the Footscray, such depth in the... Uh, in our senior team so yeah look I'm not going to get ahead of myself as they say but um, you know having such depth it makes a big difference yes and being president I'm very honoured Turning our focus to women's football, I believe it was about 2007-2008 you were first introduced to the Victorian Women's Football League. How did that come about? Look, I was watching from afar for a long time and I happened, Debbie Lee, who's a wonderful woman, she was the community officer at the Bulldogs and then she moved over to Melbourne and we got chatting one day and she said, I said, gee Debbie, I wished I had had those opportunities to play and she said, oh, this is all happening uh, would you like to come and have a look? And I did a bit of investigation, as I always do. I researched the researchers when in medicine and medical research. So I researched what the women were doing, and I thought, wow, these people are pretty good. So I went along to a luncheon, and I was so impressed with the standard of the game. And I'd already been thinking about, I'm going to help these women. They really do need some help. So I went to a luncheon. I think I may have spoken at it. I can't remember. It goes back a fair while, and I thought, these women need support. Um, because they are good, they're damn good. So I decided to write them out a check, get them started, and I've been an advocate ever since. And um, to be quite frank, I was just a little bit jealous that I didn't have that around when I was growing up, that I had somewhere that I could go to and become part of a club and and, and develop my skills and and move on and and, and to, to be part of a team. I missed it so much. So I wanted to give these young women an opportunity. And I'm only one person... And I tried to make a small difference at that time. It was an extraordinary donation. I heard it was $25,000, which allowed them to employ their first ever full-time operations manager. That's correct. And that gave me enormous satisfaction. And I've, I, I, look, they don't realise, but I watch them from afar all the time. I watch all the girls, watch all the teams, see how they're going. And um, I love mixing with them too. They're terrific women. They're so dedicated. And the thing that really... Um, impressed me was that they were not getting paid at the time although maybe that'll that'll probably change but 
they did it for the love of the game, and they're so skilled. Um, it just you've got to see it. I'm, I'm sure you do, Peter, but the community must get and see these women and see how hard they train, how hard they play, and how damn good they are. Uh, and I'll probably go to my grave saying that, um, just how good these women are. Do do you recall the original discussions between the Bulldogs and Melbournes that, that that saw that first game begin three years ago? I don't recall everything, but all I can say is on behalf of my club, I had absolute, total, 100% support for women playing football, and it continues to this day. I have a president and a board who are absolutely 100% behind women's football. Um, it's so important, uh, as, as you know, part of the fabric of our club at the Western Bulldogs. Melbourne, I'm sure, feel the same way, but I really can't speak on behalf of that club. We have an interesting time coming up ahead. Uh, from the information that we gather, we believe that uh, on August 16, uh, when they meet for the next exhibition match, we may know a, a, a date of when the National League will yes, start. It would not surprise me if they make an announcement. Uh, I know the grand plan is to bring it forward to 2017, but as I keep saying, we've got to do it very carefully, carefully cautiously, make sure the talent's there in the teams, and, and stage it. We can't have on stream every team uh, and every club straight away. It's got to be staged. could be um, uh, maybe Western Australia, South Australia uh, coming in in the earlier days. But it's got to be done well and done very professionally. It's an interesting time as well where I was, I was about to bring up and I was doing my research yesterday about um, we spoke to Sam Land the age earlier this year saying that the likes of Dorothy Hisgrove who uh, was the uh, AFL senior executive needed support and then over the last 24 hours uh, Dorothy has resigned so I guess from your point of view now um, who is there at a higher level championing the women's football cause within the AFL headquarters? Well Dorothy I've actually met with, and as I said, it was, I was quoted in a newspaper a few months ago, that she's an absolute dynamo. She is and was a dynamo and working extremely hard with not, not as many resources as I think she should have had. But um, it, it's really disappointing. I'm very sad to see what's happened in the last 24 hours. I'm sure the AFL are going to um, uh, look at this very seriously. They know that it's a big component of the game. And they're going to address this. And look, as I said, Gillen listens. He really does. Uh, in the times I've had discussions with him, he listens to, um, uh, he's listened to my concerns and the need for the women in football. And I'm sure it's going to be addressed and addressed very seriously. That, you know, someone like Dorothy, we must replace with someone like Dorothy and perhaps more resources than what we've been given thus far. But no, nevertheless, I'll be out there championing women and women's football no matter what. Have the AFL taken time aside to, to speak with the Bulldogs about how the success has been going so far with the women's side and about your input about how you think things should move forward? Well, I'm sure that's an ongoing um, process with the club. Um, I know that we have regular discussions with the AFL and, and they, they acknowledge this is an important component of our game and for the growth of our game. And as I keep saying um, myself, privately and uh, personally is uh, we're going to miss out if we don't address this quickly because soccer is such an attractive sport and, um, and, and, and we'll lose out to soccer if we're not um, smart uh, in, in our approach to women and women playing football. You obviously have your ear to the ground uh, in the corporate world. Uh, uh, what are they saying about women's football? Well, the, the people that I mix with are, are very supportive 
very uh, encouraging to me personally. They see it as a growth area of the AFL, something we must not ignore, and the AFL are not doing that. They're not ignoring it. They acknowledge it. I know that. That is a growth area of AFL, and we must get behind our women and support them. So the corporate world, the ones that I mix with, supportive, very supportive. And finally, before we let you go, Susan, sure. uh, obviously it's a history-making moment on, on Sunday, August 16. It's oh, yeah. the first televised uh, women's football yeah. match. Um, how's it, how important is it, not only people at, obviously at home watching the game, but there being a big crowd in the stands to show that colour and to show the support of the girls and, and not just empty seats? Well, to me, I can't tell you how, how important that is. That people must and should get along and watch these talented women. They will see... I mean, last year, um, I, I was away overseas in the May game, unfortunately, but don't worry, I had my ear to the ground. I was up in the middle of the night. But last year at Etihad, I mean, that spectacular mark that that Melbourne player took... I mean, I had our Bulldog players. They're supposed to have been in the rooms getting ready, and I walked around the boundary there. And they were out watching the women. They said, gee, Sue... I didn't know they were this good. I said, yes, guys, they could take your job. They could show you how to play football. So, look, it's really important. They don't want to, women don't want to play against men and vice versa. But they've got, we don't, want to be seen, we don't want to be seen as saying, oh, we're better. We're not better. We're just different. And you need to get along there. The people, the community need to get along there and see these women and just see how damn good they are. And I'm sure they'll change their opinion if they've, you know, they've never been before, that women are playing against women and they are damn good. Susan, thank you very much for joining us here on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. And as we let you go, again, a reminder about 22nd of August and the signature ball for the Susan Alberti uh, Medical Research Foundation. Obviously, if, if people can't make it along, is there a way that they can donate or show their support? Yes, they can. They can go to my website, Susan Alberti Medical Research Foundation. Just go there and you'll see all the information. My office is always happy to talk to anyone, but... Um, you're helping type 1 diabetes research. The three institutes, what they do, I won't keep you much longer, but we treat, prevent and cure. Those three institutes do all of the above. So it's not just about finding a cure, it's about treating, preventing and curing. And that's what I'm on about. I just want to make a difference in the community, just like I want to do with women's football. And to the girls that may be listening, to the women who may be listening, go girls, you are very, very talented. And I thank Dr. Susan Alberti for being very generous with her time. And again, a reminder, if you'd like to donate to the foundation, just Google Susan Alberti Medical Research Fund. And as she encouraged everyone, particularly if you're in Victoria, get along to Etihad Stadium on Sunday, the 16th of August. It's important that we have a big crowd there, so it looks good on TV for the first ever televised women's AFL exhibition match. I'm Peter Holden. It's been a pleasure having your company. We'll have another podcast for you later in the week, including uh, catching up with those from AFL London as they have their first ever women's grand final. And keep your eye on girlsplayfooty.com for our state league reviews. Also for uh, player profiles and those that were picked up in the mini draft a week and a half ago. And don't forget girlsplayfooty.com Sunday afternoon, 1.30pm for our match of the day coverage this week, bringing you Diamond Creek versus the St Kilda Sharks, a crucial game for both sides in the makeup of the top four. Make sure you join us Sunday, 1.30pm. But as I said, keep an eye out for another podcast coming up later in the week. Until then, it's bye for now.